0: hello everyone this is andre the co-founder of twins tours and travel in jerusalem in israel born into a christian Maronite family and i'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel i have been leading numerous groups throughout the holy land for almost 20 years also i'm an author of several books and you can find them in amazon and one of the first books i wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem. Speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus. And to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches. And connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome to day number 6. Tour on the Golan Heights. We are just finishing visiting Caesarea Philippi and what is called Panias and we learned about it and we are heading all the way to Mount Bental for the observation view towards Syria. And this is a very steep mountain. It's actually an extinct volcano that stands 1165 meters or 3822 feet above sea level. And it looks more like a cone-shaped hell. Now the bus dropped us at the parking lot and we are walking towards the lookout to Syria. We started early in the morning with a lookout to Lebanon, remember that? And by the end of the day, we are looking to Syria. We will see three countries today, Lebanon, Syria and Israel, all in one day. So the group are walking. Through a unique display of recycled metal art the first thing you're going to be welcomed on mount bental is a huge dinosaur and other fun sculptures as you see they are all the work of johannes de jong a dutch artist who lives and works in the nearby kibbutz meron golan and this kibbutz meron golan had the idea to reconstruct and open this mountain, Mount Bentel, for tourists to come and have an observation point to Syria. So they developed all the area. Anyway, Johannes de Jong, this Dutch artist, uses recycled and reclaimed metal scraps found along the area of the Golan Heights in the fields to create these beautiful works of art. Just take some pictures, take the time to enjoy them. And let's continue all the way to the view. And you see to your left side a coffee shop. It's called Kofe Anan. And coffee Anan, Anan in Hebrew literally means clouds. The coffee shop in the clouds because we are up in a high mountain. And nothing related to kofe Anan, coffee Anan one of the like the leaders and the United Nations nothing related to that it happened to be the similar name so Coffee Anan the coffee shop in the clouds and later I will give some time for the group members to go and enjoy really good Israeli coffee I know that some of them just went without telling me or telling anyone in the group that's fine there's always one or two or three that do that all the time. i make myself did not see anything. So we're continuing all the way to the observation point. And on our way you will see a large signpost with signs in every direction showing you how far you are from the different locations from Mount Mantel all over the world. And you're going to see this post. There's a sign Jerusalem is 240 kilometers around 150 miles from where we are standing there's another sign for Tiberias it's like 50 kilometers around 31 miles and the most important the lowest sign is Damascus it shows that it's 60 kilometers like 37 miles where we are standing on Mount Bental so you will notice that Damascus is closer to us than Jerusalem And by the way we are heading to jerusalem tomorrow for three nights now the group is standing all the way at the top of the mountain on the observation point i will share with them what they see because at the top of mount bental there are magnificent views in all directions north of us we see mount hermon and that's the Israeli's highest peak what we see and beyond that is Lebanon and we see like the snow capped mountain in the winter only you're gonna see the snow and if you visit in like later during March April you see remains of the snow but in summer the snow will disappear completely. And the Hermon is a narrow mountain ridge that forms the Lebanon-Syria boundary along its spine. And this long ridge is 70 kilometers long, around 45 miles. But only 11% of its southern area is inside the land of Israel. Imagine, only 11% of that mountain is in Israel. The rest is in Syria. So the highest peak is 2,814 meters above sea level which is in Syria but the highest peak of that mountain in Israel is called Mitzpah Shlagim which literally means the snow observation point is about 2,224 meters which is around 7,300 feet but the highest peak is 9,000 feet that is in Syria also the United Nations have an observation point here too for security and you can try skiing on Mount Hermon during the winter season and roughly between December till like uh, January, February The longest run is only a mile and there's a lift for non-skiers goes to the summit and affords a spectacular view of the surrounding area and during this season, the ski season, you'll see hundreds of Israelis coming with their cars, and there is a lot of traffic. And literally, it can take several hours just waiting to go to that mountain to ski. Also, from the top of the mountain, from here, we can see like a bird's eye view of many of the Druze villages, where sits Belo in the distance of the mountain range and the upper Galilee, what we call. Also in front of us, we see the Syrian village of Connetra. You see all the ruins of the flattened houses of this city, which once had a population of 20,000 people. And you can see that the atmosphere is like post-apocalyptic and very eerie, and everything is demolished because of the war in 1973. And later there was a ceasefire. Israel troops withdrew from Connetra and before handing Connetra back to Syria, the Israelis evacuated the population and then systematically destroyed the buildings of the city, sealing anything movable. And, and that move was so much heavily condemned by the United Nations. And the later Syrian president, Hafez al-Assad, ordered that the city shall not be rebuilt again. And since then the ruins have become something of a propaganda exhibit the area is under Syrian control within the United Nations, demilitarized zone between Syria and the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights. Also south of us, you see another mountain, Mount Avital. This is today an Israeli army base. And look all the way, all the way. You're gonna see also a mountain and split from the center. And if you look carefully, you will see a road in the center of the hill. And even if you focus, you can see cars driving on that road. This road leads to Damascus. Damascus is only 37 miles away from us. Um, we can't say see Damascus from here, even in a clear view. Because it's a down a ridge. It's like, look at the far horizon, the mountain and the road I told you about. And the far horizon down there which we can't see because it's lower, is where Damascus stands, behind that hill. So from the peak of Mount Bental, you can really again appreciate the strategic and importance of the Golan Heights by observing the proximity of Syria. So the Golan Heights gives Israel an excellent vantage point for monitoring Syrian movements And the topography provides a natural buffer zone against any military thrust from Syria. Also, as you see, all this area is a key source of water from an arid region. Rainwater from the Golan, Heights, actually from the smelting snow of Mount Hermon, forms the three rivers, Dan, Banias, and Hasbani. Dan and Banias from Syria, and Hasbani River from Lebanon, All of them feed into the Jordan River and this area of the Golan Heights provides one-third of Israel's water supply. So when we speak about wars, all these wars you know about is because of water. Water is so much important in history and in this part of the world. Number one is water and number two is security. So the real conflict of the Golan Heights, who controls the sources of water and who controls the source of water have the power and the land is so fertile and because of the volcanic soil being used to cultivate vineyards and orchards and to raise a lot of cattle as you saw when we are driving here. There's a lot of vineyards, a lot of apples, a lot of cherries, a lot of strawberries a lot of agriculture so the Golan Heights is an agriculture community both the Druze villages and the Jewish settlers who lives in the Golan Heights work in agriculture if you look all the way down you can see a UN observation point these white buildings in the center are UN forces that used to monitor the area from the ground within Syria and that area is no longer safe so they moved into Israel and are now making use of the observation post here look to the right side now you can see the white buildings and these are the UN forces and many times they will come and set an observation point here to the right side what you see and look through the voluncular if there are some activities in Syria so all these white buildings are the United Nations forces and you heard about the Syrian civil war began in March 2011 and the end is not really done and it's still going on and the border line between Israel and Syria has switched hands a few times between Assad's regime and the different rebel groups. Although Israel has taken no position in that conflict, Syrian rebels shells have mistakenly fallen in Israel in this area on a couple of occasions, and some attacks in Syria have been attributed to Israel. Injured Syrians who come to the Israeli border crossing can expect to receive treatment no matter which side they represent. So Israel helped in treating the injuries during that war. And let me share for you a background about the heart of the conflict of the Middle East here in order to understand why people are fighting. Everything goes back to 1922, the Sykes-Picot Agreement. It was a secret treaty between the United Kingdom and France with assent from the Russian Empire and Italy to define their mutuality agreed spheres of influence and control in an eventual partition of the. Ottoman Turks Empire these Western Empires agreed to divide the Ottoman Turks outside the Arabian Peninsula into areas of British and French controlled and influence so the British and French controlled countries were divided by the Sykes-Picot Agreement so the agreement allocated to Britain control of what is today southern Israel Palestine, Jordan and southern Iraq and in additional small areas that included the ports of Haifa and Acre to allow access to the Mediterranean Sea. France got control of the southern Turkey, northern Iraq, Syria and Lebanon. So what we call the British mandate and what we call the French mandate. And because of that mandate, we have the Middle East divided. And when it was divided, that's the start of a conflict. You know, all the area was called Great Syria, one big area. And because of the Western division to what was called Great Syria, then every nation wanted its independence later. And, well, you know, the rise of the Arab nationalistic movement. And one of the primary goals of Arab nationalism is the end of Western influence in the Arab world. And the removal of those, like western powers in the Middle East then in 1948 the British decided to leave and because they couldn't control this part because of a lot of rights took place and the war of independence took place and later after that 1967 war also took place in this area of the Golan Heights and the war broke out in June 1967 and Syrian shelling greatly intensified and the Israeli army captured the Golan Heights the area came under Israeli control as a result of the war and they took mostly the surface of 1070 square kilometers which is around 410 square miles of this area what we see and the slopes of Mount Hermon so what you see in front of you with a surface of around 40 square miles and during the war between 80,000 and 130,000 Syrians fled or were driven from the Golan Heights here only around 7,000 remained in the Israel-occupied territories which are the Druze villages and Israeli sources and the United Nations for refugees and immigrants reported that much of the local population of 100,000 fled as a result of the war, whereas the Syrian government stated that a large proportion of it was expelled, anyway Israel has not allowed former residents to return back for security reasons, but as I mentioned the remaining villages, five of them like Majdal Shams, and in Kenya, Masada, Bukhata, and Shaita, these are the five Druze towns, Uh, in the Golan Heights that remained here and the Druze community stood there and now they are under Israel control another battle took place here also huge one It's called the Valley of the Tears Battle that was on Yom Kippur War in 1973 it was one of the largest tank battles ever and was miraculously won by the Israelis with their small force of only 160 tanks but the Syrians attacked with 1500 tanks and 1000 artillery pieces and with a small Israeli force. The Israeli army suffered large casualties also as well and by the time the battle was over only 7 Israeli tanks were operational and after 900 of the Syrian tanks were destroyed the Syrian army turned and fled away leaving the land for Israel today to remember the hard battle the valley below the mountain I have told you about nearby Mount Hermon is called the Valley of the Tears and some of the tanks are standing till today to commemorate the 1973 Yom Kippur War and after I'm explaining all about wars People will get tired. I will open the Bible and start to read from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant! It is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Harun, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon. Again, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there is the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Let me explain for you about this psalm. Psalm 133 is a song of ascent, a song for going up to a high place. And for the Jewish people in ancient times, that high place was the temple in the city of Jerusalem one literally goes up to jerusalem the city crowns the hill and its temple stood on a mountain in this exalted place the highest act was to worship god so this is what we are doing by the way following the footsteps after this tomorrow we're going to head up to jerusalem to mount zion and the jewish people sang psalm 133 to express their joy in coming together for worship at the temple where God promised to meet them. The psalm imparts blessings and life to God's people, and it proclaims oneness in faith. These themes, abundance and unity, flow from the psalm 133. As the temple in Jerusalem was the high place for the Jewish people, so Easter is the high point of the gospel from here the gospel spreads around the world All right, Jesus from Mount Transfiguration, Mount Hermon remember we learned about it he went all the way up to Jerusalem to be crucified and died during Passover and then he has risen from the tomb and he raises us up from unbelief to faith from death to everlasting life to abundance this is exactly what we are doing All right even going all the way from Mount Hermon all the way up to Jerusalem as I mentioned. So it's all about abundance. It's all about brothers gathering together in faith. Faith in the risen Christ draws people not only to see things from the Eastern point of view, but to see things with our brothers and sisters. The risen Lord creates a new family of those who believe in him no matter what is their backgrounds, no matter what they are from Syria, no matter they are from Lebanon, no matter they are from Israel, but unity among the body of Christ among believers. Look what it says in John 20, 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And the gospel flows down freely from the summit of Easter makes one family in Christ. So Jerusalem, Easter, the Resurrection of Christ unites Christians around the world. Standing on this high place, we become one in faith and have hope and love each other. Unity in God is a major theme in Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. You know the word kindred in some translations. May also be translated to brothers but does not mean blood relatives but people joined by God's grace. This is a very short psalm but it's highly ambitious. It calls all people to worship God. It begins at one very particular summit and goes all the way down to Jerusalem. It starts with a few insiders but flows outward in a blessing for many to preach this psalm is to go within the flow down the mountain and outward to the valleys and plain and if you know and understand the topography of the land you see Mount Hermon on the top and high and it goes all the down all the way down to Jericho flat so blessings the dew the water comes from Mount Hermon all over the land and only liquid can flow so the psalm If we go to Hebrew, Parallelism gives us two liquids, oil and dew. First in the text comes the precious oil on the head in verse 2. This is the fragment, refreshing oil used to consecrate a priest. The priestly intent is clear because the psalm refers to Haran, the brother of Moses, part of the Israeli priestly tribe. Moses ordained Haran to the priesthood by anointing his head with oil. We read that in Leviticus 8.12. All priests have the oil of Haran on their head. The oil is so precious. You know God is not stingy. Indeed the oil is poured out so lavishly on the head of the priest. It runs down the beard of Haran onto the collar of his robe. The generous quantity of oil adds to the picture of the community gathering as a sweet pleasant time together. Of course, priests were not the only ones to use oil in this way. A generous host would provide oil to a guest for anointing before a meal. Remember in the scripture Luke 7 44 to46. Christians recall a woman who anointed Jesus for his burial, and how the woman brought spices to the tomb. But on Easter, these gifts of mourning took a new meaning as hope spread from the empty tomb. Life is no longer scarce, but abundant, no longer rationed, but spilling over like an endless fountain. Oil for us signifies worship, feasting, celebrating, and unity. Death separates people and the resurrection promises that we will dwell in unity forever in Christ himself God wants to bring the faithful together a community of saints across time and distance all of us together look what's written in verse three it's like the dew of Hermon Mount Hermon as you see rises above the all the area is the highest mountain What we see in front of us, it had its share of heavy rainfall and snow. The melting snow or dew flowed down into the valley. It fed the Jordan River and reached as far as the oasis of Jericho. You know, in a dry country where the rain is scarce and the rivers dry up, the land and the people depend on water. Remember, I told you the most important thing is water that comes from a distant source. It is the sacredity of water in the dry land which makes Mount Hermon's dew so precious and so much important. Like the oil that flows down the beard of Haran, so the dew, the snow of Mount Hermon, reaches far beyond its point of origin and gives life to faraway lands. And this is like Jesus. Transfiguration took place on Mount Hermon. And from here, he brought all the blessings all the way down, all the way down, through the dry land like the river going up to Jerusalem. And he's calling people to worship, to believe in him. And in worshiping this God in love, we become one family united together. The resurrection of Jesus Christ slacks our thirst for life and love. Jesus opened the way to eternal life. We thought it's only for a few, no, it's for everyone, there is enough place to everyone. Jesus arose and his word calls forth a global family of believers. And they are at the high point of Easter, the Lord ordained his blessing life forevermore. Grace flows down to us and makes us one in faith, it's for all people, it's for everyone. You know, in our times of conflict and economic distress like the coronavirus epidemic and like what is happening with the riots with the black community and no justice. People are divided but God wants us to come together in unity like Psalm 133. The Psalm offers hope and the prophets of kingship in Christ. The message God loves us abundantly and holds nothing back against us. Like the oil of blessing bringing people together in faith. Everyone is equal in God's kingdom. Like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing with abundant life. So, Psalm 133 is for everyone that needs to believe in Christ. So what I will do, I will use this opportunity and tell the people to pray over the borders between Syria and Israel, and even to pray for ISIS and for the Christians and the Muslims that live in Syria, for God to bring peace into their life and into their hearts and to be brothers and sisters together, and for them to recognize the real Messiah despite the war. Everyone needs to be saved. These people want to be saved. They have to be brothers and sisters together. We have to be community together. They are all equal in God's kingdom. And I usually ask from the pastor of the group and all the group to stretch their hands towards Syria and to pray for angels to come down from heavens and bring revelation to people that Jesus the Messiah is the Christ and He's the only Savior for all the people and we spend like 10 to 15 minutes in prayers and then after we finish I will give also free time for people to go down there is a bunker below us and you're welcome to wander around it and get a unique and authentic Middle Eastern experience I tell them get a torchlight or use your phone as a light source because as you go underground it gets dark, and there's a small room within the bunker that there is a story of the battle, can be read from the signs on the wall. And when emerging from the bunker, you're gonna see a binocular, can be operated for a small fee to see the Israeli Syrian frontier and the old battlefield now covered over the fields of grain and produce and they will always like the options and I tell them also enjoy the coffee there at the coffee anan. and I give them a meeting time on the bus now when everyone is in the bus we are heading all the way to the hotel but I suggest for them to go and visit one of the wineries and I start to teach them about wine I tell them welcome to Napa Valley the Golden Heights is like Napa Valley and it's covered with vineyards And the Golan Heights is most famous for its wine. By the way, six of the main wineries have combined to produce a wine route. And there is really great wineries in the area that produce high quality wine and fine wine. And I would suggest to go for a tasting wine. And all the group will agree about it it's always a special experience because it's so much better to taste the wine and drink the wine in the vineyard where its grapes are grown it's always worthwhile visiting a vineyard and during your like visit to Israel to truly understand the Golan wine you know in the mid 90s there were just seven wineries in Israel today the nation have more than 300 wineries all over and every winery has its distinctive qualities but the Golan Heights winery where we're going is one of the most well-known exporting its wine to 25 different countries and they are very well established for tourists the Golan Heights winery is the best because the management at the Golan Heights Winery puts so much effort and time in taking care of their visitors and they have one of the most comprehensive visitor centers and hands on the most varied touring options of any winery in Israel they offer four standard tour options ranging from one to four hours in length some people want to learn about the process of producing wine visiting the oak barrel cellars where the wines are aged and enjoying a wine tasting I recommend the one-hour tour the classic visit it's the best if you want to enjoy wine tasting session with a greater variety of wine options this is the wine one-hour tour is the best and You're not much into wine you certainly enjoy like the striking scenery and the pastoral atmosphere that surrounds the Golan Heights winery so the group will enjoy that and after we're having a great wine experience we are back in the bus to go to the hotel to rest and then for dinner to prepare ourselves for the next day to check out and all of the group are having great time because of the wine and they forgot completely all about the history and the battles in this area and everyone is so happy i just enjoy so much seeing the group so much content by the end of the day so much happy from the tour and from the what they learned and they having fun time so that is so cool to watch them and we heading back to the hotel and everyone is really content and so happy and getting ready to go to jerusalem i hope you enjoyed this podcast and you learned something new today and please share this podcast with more people more friends and i have my book just released on amazon if you go to amazon.com and type heading to the holy land and this book speaks about everything you need to prepare to bring a group to Israel as a leader as a layman as a pastor or if it's on your heart to bring a group to Israel this book will help you so much give you all the details from A to Z how to prepare for a group to come to the visit the Holy Land again go to amazon.com and type heading to the Holy Land you find it in paperback and you find it in ebook so enjoy